Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your people. I thank you for the comfort of love that we have, the encouragement that we have in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you're for us and not against us and that everything in our lives is filtered through you, a loving and sovereign God, our God, our Father. We ask that you would speak to us this morning as we open the pages of Scripture, your inspired word. Help us to see you and see your your work and your glory and your beauty and help us to see, God, our responsibility and how you want us to live out the gospel. I pray that today you would give us strength to do so, that you would give us a clear vision of what it looks like to live out your will, to live out the gospel in our lives, to apply it to our lives, that you might be glorified, that your name would be lifted up. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Kevin last week preached on Philippians 2, having the mind of Christ. The week before that, we had a, a message on Philippians 1:27 through 30, titled Gospel Conduct. And so in, in, in Philippians 1.27, Paul gave the Philippians an exhortation. He exhorted them to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And two weeks ago, we looked at what does that look like to, to have a life and a lifestyle that is worthy of the gospel, that reflects the worth of the gospel. And we talked about it, one, first of all, just being a consistent life, being consistent with with the gospel, living out your faith, living a life, godly character and faithfulness, staying in step with the gospel, unity with other Christians, walking in unity, working together, striving side by side together with other Christians for the faith of the gospel. That's gospel worthy conduct. And then we talked about having courage, being courageous, and not fearful, but courageous in the face of opposition when you're when you're persecuted and you're being opposed by 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 non-Christians. And then last week, Kevin unpacked Philippians chapter two, where Paul exhorts the Philippians to have the mind of Jesus. If you want to live worthy of the gospel, think like Jesus. Do what Jesus did. Speak like Jesus. Think like Jesus. Have the mindset of Jesus. Who, who had this mindset of a humble servant who became obedient to the point of death. Verses 12 and so on, uh, Paul gives some further instruction of what it looks like to live out the gospel, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, to adorn the gospel with our conduct, to reflect the beauty of the gospel and the worth of the gospel. So we're going to start in verse 12 here and, and read through verse 16 or 17. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. 
holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even as I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. So here's the big idea. This is where we're going in this text. God has called us to shine as bright lights in this dark world through actions, attitudes, words that reflect the beauty and the worth of the gospel. As I've titled the message, Living Out the Gospel. Here are some further further instructions of what it looks like to live out the gospel, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Let me, let me just state this, first of all. One, you're, you're loved by God as a child of God. Whether your obedience is, is good and strong or whether you are just failing in your walk with the Lord, you are loved by God, and that is foundational for our obedience. We love Him and obey Him. We love Him because He first loved us. And our, our obedience to God flows from love. If you, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's directly connected. Our obedience is directly connected to our genuine love for God. Love for God must be manifested in obedience to God. Otherwise, it's mere lip service. Therefore, my beloved, and we are loved even before, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us and he rescued us. God took the initiative in saving us and rescuing us. And our obedience and commitment to him is a response to the gospel. It's a response to God's rescuing love, to his saving grace in our lives. And so Paul affirms and commends the Philippians for their obedience. These guys, he didn't have a whole bunch of uh, corrections for the Philippians like he did for the Corinthians. Like the Corinthians, man, Paul just let those guys have it because they were messed up. It's not that the, the, the Philippians didn't have their own issues. They did. We, there is at least one issue Paul addresses in its disunity with two particular ladies in Philippians 4.2. But he affirms their obedience. He affirms their walk. And, and he commends that. You, you guys have always obeyed. So now, not only as in my presence, not only when I'm here, but much more in my absence. This is, you know, it's important when you don't have a mentor around or a, a spiritual, you know, other believers, godly saints around you watching to continue in obedience. If it's just Jesus watching you, we should continue in obedience because because God sees and God rewards obedience. So he commends them and then he commands them to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Now we know that's a good thing, that's a biblical thing, and that's something we should do. But before we talk about what does it mean, let's, let's first make it make clear what it does not mean. Okay, Paul does not say work for your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, it, he, Paul has made it very clear in this letter and other letters that salvation is a gift. 
a free gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? In Philippians chapter 3, Paul makes it very clear that we're justified by faith. We have righteousness that comes through faith, not through our works. In Galatians, that's one of Paul's main points in the book of Galatians in addressing legalism. So, Paul is not saying work for your salvation with fear and trembling and just perhaps God might save you. Like maybe like the, like the Muslims. You know, God just might be merciful to you on the day of judgment. You just give it your best, work real hard and maybe in the end you'll be okay. No, that's, that's not the Christian life. That's not the gospel. That's not the good news that we have heard and embraced. We have confidence knowing that our sins are forgiven, that our destiny is secure in Christ. We know who we are. We know whose we are. We know where we are going for all eternity because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul is not saying work for your salvation. He's not even saying work to keep it. Okay, work to keep it. Make sure you, 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 it's up to, now that Jesus justified you and died for you, now you just gotta, you gotta work to, to hold on with all your strength and don't let the devil take you down, alright? Uh, he's not, he's not even saying that. He says work it out. God has graciously worked it in. He's rescued us. He's justified us. He's called us. He's redeemed us. He's brought us into His own family. New creations in Christ Jesus. And now Paul says, walk it out. Work it out. Work it out. I, I, I like this expression. I, many of you, including myself, work out. Right? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I don't want to shame anybody who doesn't work out. But I do commend you for physically working out. That's a good thing. Paul says it profits a little to work out. Take care. Steward your body. That's a, that's a good thing. You'll feel much better uh, you'll have more energy to endure everything in life that you're responsible to be doing. And it even helps your brain, uh, helps your, your mental health as well. So on. Anyways, uh, work out. So when I go to the gym, I, I try to work out at least three times a week. And I go, to, I pay 10 bucks for a gym membership over at, uh, UFIT. And, and I'll, I'll hit the treadmill and I'll do a few, you know, upper body things. I'm not like super committed. I'm not like trying to get like swolled and ripped and defined all over so that I can show my glory to my wife and, and others, right? <laughs> Although my wife does enjoy the benefits of me working out. And she's, oh, she's like, oh, you got a two pack now, right? <laughs> but that's not my goal. I just want to, I want to be healthy. I want to have energy. I, I want to be able to keep up with my kids. I want to be able to lead with energy here. I want to be able to to reach out and not let my physical health uh, slow me down. But when I'm at the gym, I see guys that are just like ripped and cut and they are committed to being there. That's like their third place. That's like their church. Like they have their fellowship and they're just, you know, hanging out, kicking it. I mean, that's their that's their community right there, the workout community, right? Their bodies did not get like that automatically. They didn't just like get a shot and then, you know, it all, all those muscles formed. They didn't just drink a, a protein shake and all those muscles formed in their body. And it didn't matter how many protein shakes you drink or, <laughs> or how many shots you get. Those muscles aren't just going to automatically form on your body, even though many of us would like that, right? 
is there a pill I can take, a shot I can take, where I can just tread weight and then gain muscle, right? It doesn't happen automatically. There is intentional effort and discipline and training that goes in physically to shaping somebody who's physically fit. That's true in the natural. Why would we not think that's true in the spiritual? Sadly, many Christians do think that's true in the spiritual. That spiritual progress can happen and occur through merely coasting through life. It doesn't. There is intentionality. There is effort that has to be involved. We must give ourselves to obedience to God. And what I think working out your own salvation with fear and trembling means, I think it means obeying God and continuing to obey God, walking in uh, what Eugene Peterson calls long obedience. Long obedience. You're just, you're obeying God, obeying God, obeying God. When you fail, you repent, you're obeying God. You're you're living a life of repentance and a life of obedience. You're changing your mind. You're changing your ways that don't line up with God's ways. And you're, you're following Jesus. And you're not, nobody's doing it perfectly. Nobody is. I don't know anybody that's doing it perfectly. But we're, but we're, 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 we're on that path. We're on that path that leads to life. Work out your own salvation, I think, is living out the gospel, a, a, a responding to it, living in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's already given us salvation. When Paul talks about salvation in, in his letters, he talks about it in the past tense, in the present tense, and in the future tense. So we have been saved. Okay? So like as a Christian, you can say, yeah, I'm saved. I've been saved. When did you get saved? I can say December 12th, 1998, I got saved. All right. And and also Paul talks about being saved. We are being saved. Uh, and then he talks about we will be saved. Okay. Theologians describe these three tenses as justification, sanctification, and glorification. We have been saved. Justification. That's a one-time event that happened. Romans 5.1. Sanctification. That's the rest of our lives as Christians. And you're not going to graduate the class of sanctification until you leave this body and see Jesus face to face. All right. That's the, we're being saved. That's sanctification. We're working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That's sanctification. Glorification is when we will get new bodies, we will be completely rescued from the presence of sin. We will, we will have all our limbs, all our hair, all our strength. Our, we will have glorified bodies when we see Jesus face to face in the new heavens and new earth, right? And so we look forward to that. So Paul here is dealing with the issue of sanctification, which is a process. Okay, growing in Christ's like working out your own salvation is growing in Christ's likeness. Okay, becoming more like Jesus, thinking like Jesus, speaking like Jesus, living like Jesus, like Paul ex- exhorted the Philippians to do earlier in Philippians to have this mind in among you, which was in Christ Jesus. He humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. 
So work out your own salvation and know that that doesn't happen automatically. In this, we see human responsibility in verse 12. And then in verse 13, we see divine activity. And these, these work together throughout scripture. You will see these as compatible biblical truths that we must hold on to and not throw either out and not d- d- diminish or downplay either one of these. Emphasize them as much as the Bible does. Well, here, Paul, in verse 13, Paul's very quick to say, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Aren't you glad, saints, that you becoming like Jesus and follow, following Jesus doesn't depend on your mere willpower alone? That it's not just you trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and just say, I'm going to follow Jesus. While, while our decision to follow Jesus is real and legitimate and important, we must make that decision. We must be responsible human beings who are intentional with our lives. Ultimately, it's God who empowers and enables and works in us who gives us the power to obey him see this is something that distinguishes christianity from other religions other religions are human efforts to achieve salvation through good works through discipline right you work your way up to god but christianity is different jesus comes down to us and he rescues us he redeems us and then he empowers us by his spirit right so it, through through the gospel we have pardon for our sin we don't have to work for that we don't have to earn we don't have to work for our salvation our forgiveness our righteousness it's it's a free gift Okay, and then we have power as Christians, having the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have power to obey God, to become more like Jesus. And that power isn't isn't just it doesn't originate from us. It's God. He's the source, the spirit of God living in us, the grace of God enabling us, influencing us. And empowering us to do his will. Notice that God works in you both to will. So he gives you the desire and the the want to do what pleases him and obey him. You ever felt like you don't want to obey God like I have? We we need God to work in us to to give us that that strength, that power, that will, that desire. And we should ask God for that. You see, while we have responsibility and while we must be intentional, we, we need his strength. And so we pray for it. We pray, God, help me. When you don't want to do something you know God's calling you to do, you pray. Don't complain. Don't be childish and immature and grumble and complain. But ask God, God, help me to do this. You say that you will. You say that you are working in me. So, so in Philippians 1, 6, Paul told the Philippians, he said, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he started it, he will complete it. So he began it. God has began this good work in the Philippian Christians. And in your life, Christian, Christian, 
and he will complete it. But in the meantime, before you see that glorification and that completion of the work that he began in you, he's working in you right now. He's working in your heart. When you, when you complain, when you get mad, when you get upset, when you disobey, the Spirit of God graciously convicts you. He whispers, he tugs, he knocks. He says, don't do that. Come on. Here's a better way. Like he, he woos us graciously. He doesn't condemn us with the pointing finger like the enemy does. But he, he convicts us like that's not worthy of the gospel. That's not Christ-like. That doesn't honor Christ. That doesn't show love to your neighbor, right? And so he convicts us of those things that don't honor God and don't uh, help others and, and, and express love to others. And so God, by his spirit, he works in us to will and to do his good pleasure. So whatever your sin struggle is, you can have confidence that God can and will give you the desire and the power to obey him. Ask him for that. Expect him to work in your heart. This is real Christianity from the inside out. This is what it looks like as as we're going through our own struggles in life. Sanctification. Uh, Last Sunday with my family, I I saw this couple of them, one on our tree in our front yard, this huge caterpillar, bright green caterpillar. Then we saw one at the park. And I was reminded of just how the process called, is it metamorphosis? School kids, metamorphosis, right? Caterpillar changes into metamorphosis. The caterpillar changes into a butterfly in the cocoon. But one of the things that's necessary for it to change is that struggle inside of the cocoon, right? So there, there's, the, there's this friction and struggle going on and then there's this beauty that comes out of that struggle okay and this is like us working out we're we're working out our own salvation with fear and trembling but it's god it's god ultimately who's the one who makes our lives beautiful like a beautiful butterfly or like Christ and his character and his love and his grace and his humility. It's God who works that in us, who gives us a desire. If you're a Christian, your desires are changed. You don't want a lot of the same things that you used to. And if you do, you can ask God to help you with that, help you with those. And of course, we don't act on those things. We, we are to resist ungodly desires within us because we still have our flesh. embrace both of these embrace the reality that you're responsible for your decisions spiritual progress will not come automatically you must be intentional and you must give yourself to the will of god to obey him but have confidence do so with confidence that god's working in you he's working in you both to will and to do his good pleasure the next thing in verse 14 this is where we're going to step on some toes this is where I was convicted this week. Um, watch your words and your attitudes. If you want to live out the gospel and you want to work out your salvation with, with fear and trembling, then watch your words and your attitudes. Verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing. 
that you may be blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. So do all things without complaining. So this is where this week, just I got sick and I was feeling terrible. Pressure was put on my soul and on my body. And spiritually, I just felt like there was pressure. And what happens when there's pressure? Like if you put pressure on a bug, what happens? You see what's on the inside, right? And you put pressure on us. You will see what is in the inside. Words will come out. Attitudes will come out. Actions will come out. Actually, so last week, one of my family members who was in church when they saw the picture of the van uh, that got hit, one of my family members dropped the F-bomb in the middle of church when they saw that picture. I'm not going to name who that was. Uh, but they saw that picture, and, and, and so something came out, right? So you get put in that moment. What are you going to do? What What are you going to do? Like, and, and let me just say this. If, if Kendall... And my kids were not to make it last week in that accident right before church. And I were to show up and they were all dead. Let me just say this. God would still be good. God would still be faithful. And I would still praise him. And I would still thank him. And I would still serve him all my days, trusting that he would work out that circumstance for my good and for his glory. So I just want to say that because... The scripture says, first, first Thessalonians, that this is God's will that we give him thanks in all things. That we rejoice always, that we, we pray without ceasing. But how do you do that when, when life throws you bitter circumstances? When the pressures of your soul are so overwhelming and so bitter and hard to take? How do you, how do you do that? How do you not complain? Well, you, you got to replace that attitude with, with thanks here. Look, check this out here from James McDonald in a book called Lord Change My Attitude Before It's Too Late. Complaining is an attitude choice that if left unchecked will wither my capacity to experience joy and genuine thankfulness. Those who choose murmuring as their lifestyle will spend their lifetimes in the wilderness. Uh, children of Israel, murmuring and complaining. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, gives us examples not to follow. He, in, in his letters, he gives good examples, and he gives like, don't, don't do what these guys do. And, and the Israelites were one of those, don't do what these guys did. Uh, in the wilderness, when they went through the testing in the wilderness, they complained and they murmured. They're like, God, you brought us out here. You delivered us out here, and now it's like, this stinks. And they're complaining about... Uh, their circumstances and God had been good and gracious and faithful to them. And so complaining may give, may, it may feel like we have some relief in the moment, but it, it ends up affecting us and others more negatively than we realize. Uh, and it withers our capacity for joy and genuine thankfulness when you complain. It, it never helps when you complain. It never helps, right? It just, it, it, it just makes everyone, it just kind of spreads the displeasure amongst your family and friends, coworkers, classmates. 
And this, this kind of thing really bugs God. Like God got angry in the Old Testament with these complainers. I mean, he took them out. God doesn't like this. And, and he wants us to put these, just like as a mom and dad. Okay, let's, let's just go with parents here. I feel very similar when, when my kids murmur and complain. I mean, there are a few things that will get to me and poke the buttons, work me, get me upset. Then when my, when my own kids complain and murmur and whine, it's just, it, we could be having a, a, a sweet time together as a family, like, and just God just showering blessings on us. And, you know, we're on vacation in a nice place and things are going really good and we got more than we could ask for. And then there's complaining and it just withers our capacity to enjoy all the blessings that God has showered down on us. And then parents, if we're not careful, we'll end up doing the very same thing that we see our kids doing. And, that the, and actually, many times they, they do it because they've seen us do, do it. Because we've been guilty of, of modeling that ourselves. And, and they, they express their attitudes in a negative way because they've seen mom and dad do it. And so let's weed out those bad attitudes. Grumbling and complaining, disputing. Let's weed those things out. Those things are like weeds in our yard. If you got a house and you got your own yard, weeds are a nuisance, aren't they? I, we have, we have weeds right now. I need somebody to come help me get some weeds out of my yard, right? I have weeds in my yard that need to get out and they don't look good and then they affect negatively the other nice things in the yards, right? And so weeds must be uprooted. It doesn't, it doesn't do, it's not enough to just mow them on the surface. They must be uprooted. And a grumbling, ungrateful, murmuring attitude must be uprooted out of our hearts and out of our lives. We need a new outlook if we're, if we're not going to uh, walk in that. Uh, Chuck Swindoll says this, Words can never adequ- adequately convey the incredible impact of our attitudes toward life. The longer I live, I the more convinced I become that life is 10% of what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it. Some of James McDonald's stuff here, replace an attitude of complaining with an attitude of gratitude, with thanksgiving. Thank God for what he's done, even the hard things in life. Replace an attitude of pride with humility. Replace an attitude of selfishness with preferring others. Okay, these, these are Philippians references here. Replace an attitude of stubbornness with submission. Jesus himself is the ultimate example that he submitted to the Father's will. Replace an attitude of rebellion with an attitude of re- obedience. Replace an attitude of self-pity with an attitude of joyfulness. Instead of a woe is me, count it all joy. When you fall in the various trials, replace an attitude of harshness with an attitude of gentleness. Replace an attitude of independence with an attitude of prayer. And replace an attitude of greed with an attitude of contentment. And this is what the book of Philippians teaches us to do. Teaches us to have the attitude of Christ, the mind of Christ, to live out the gospel through our attitudes our actions, and our words. Amen? So it's not enough to just not complain. Uh, it's not enough to just, um, uh, to just not be harsh, 
to just not be greedy, to just not be selfish. We must be intentional about doing the very opposite of those things. Uh, Paul in first, uh, second Timothy 2.22, he said, flee youthful lust and then pursue righteousness, faith, and love along with those who call out on the Lord with a pure heart. And so sanctification isn't just abstaining from those bad negative things in life, but it's also running towards those things that are good and godly and Christ-like. Uh, there's a few examples here. Paul's one of them. In verse 17 to 18, there, there, are, there are at least four positive examples in Philippians chapter 2. Okay, Paul's one of them. Verse 17, he says, Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This guy's in prison right now and he's writing this letter. And he's saying, I'm, I'm glad. I'm, I'm like a, a stepping stone. I'm like a drink offering that's being poured out so other people can get blessed. My life is being spent for the gospel's sake on your behalf. And I'm glad. Rejoice with me about that, guys. So Paul himself has this mindset of a servant. I'm going to serve. He wasn't seeking his own interest. He was seeking to serve other people. And that's, that's what it looks like to grow in Christ likeness. That's what it looks like to grow in sanctification. Marriages will, will work much better if we lived our lives like this in marriage. If we had this mindset in, in marriages. Churches would have much more unity and harmony and joy and effectiveness if we have this mindset in our churches, right? Workplaces, schools will function much better if we have this mindset of a servant that we're going to give ourselves to serve other people. And so observe and imitate other godly examples like Paul. Uh, Timothy is another example here that he gives in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by the news of you for I have no one like him who will genuinely be, concern, be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I send, see how it will go with me. I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will, be, will come also. I have thought, I've thought it necessary to, to send Epaphroditus to you, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you and he has been distressed because you have heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near death, but God had mercy on him. Not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Receive him in the Lord with joy, notice joy, and honor such men, for he, has, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So we got Paul's example here. Uh, we got back in the earlier part of chapter 2, we got Jesus' example of humility, obedience, even to the point of death. Follow that example. And Jesus is the ultimate. The ultimate, he became a servant. He, the, the ultimate example of obedience and submission to the Father's will. We got Paul. We got Timothy, who is genuine, genuinely concerned for the saints. 
He who was kingdom-minded, mission-minded. He was a servant. He was gospel-centered. And then we got Epaphroditus, little old guy that not, not a lot of people know a lot about and not a lot of people name their kids after him. Uh, he was a brother. He was a co-worker. He was a fellow soldier. He was a messenger. He was a minister. A minister's a servant. And he risked his, he risked his life on behalf of others, all right? And so we have positive, godly examples for us to see, to observe, and then to emulate, to, to model. When you see this, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so when we see Christ in other people, imitate it. Imitate what they're doing because it looks like Jesus. So in, in, in application here, in closing, be intentional and serious about your spiritual progress. You're not going to coast into Christ-likeness. While your justification and God choosing you and redeeming you and saving you and making you born again was, was completely, that was, that, that was God. He initiated that. He brought that about. Your spiritual growth will not happen automatically. You can't expect it to happen automatically. We must grow in grace. We must respond to the grace of God given to us and let God work in us. But, but, but we have a part. We're responsible to put effort in, to be intentional, to be disciplined, to grow in our obedience to Jesus. And practically, we need to deal with those bad attitudes. Be confident and, and dependent upon God's work in your life. While we have a part and we're responsible, have confidence that God will empower you, that, that God's strength, His grace is enough for you. His strength fits perfect in your weakness. I take so much comfort and find so much encouragement in this verse, verse 13, that it's God who works in you to will and to do His good pleasure. I take, for me personally, I take comfort in that, but I also take comfort in that as a pastor and leading other people that, that God's not only in work in me, but he's at, he's at work in you, saints. You have the Spirit of God working in you, speaking through you, energizing you through your relationship with him. And lastly, be imitators of other godly saints. We've got lots of good examples of Christ-likeness. Let's walk in that. Amen? I just want to open it up for, in, in response, I'd like to open it up for uh, Q&A. Andrew? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I don't know if I can articulate this, but maybe I can throw it out enough of it. Uh, so, complaining, you know, they're, how, what are your thoughts on, um, you know, just being able to be transparent yeah. with friends and, and avoid complaining? Yeah. That's good. Okay, well, one, yeah, one thought. That, that's a great question. That's, that's a great thought. Um, when I complain, I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit or by my wife. <laughs> right? Like, it becomes evident when, or, and, and oftentimes, I'm checked by the Holy Spirit even before I, I let a complaint come out. And so I can feel it rising up. And, and so I, I would say, one, the Holy Spirit will ultimately, he'll, he'll help us see when we're complaining and when we're just being honest and trying to work through something in communication. 
I think ultimately complaining goes back to us not trusting God. There's something we don't like and we're, we're not trusting God to work in us or to work in somebody else to, to change that, right? Or I think that's the root of why the Israelites complained and murmured against God because they weren't believing that God had their best interest in mind, right? They believed the lie. You know, this stinks. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do, I want to eat this stuff. You know, we should be, have better stuff than this. And, and so having, I think complaining goes back to our outlook. You know, if, if, we, if we have this entitled mentality, like, you know, everybody serve me versus me serve other people. And, and the days that we have are gifts from God. I don't deserve them. I don't deserve to have my family spared from that car accident last week. That's a gift from God. And so, like, if I have an entitled mentality and feel like I deserve all these things, then I'm going to be more likely to complain. And if I'm not trusting God, like, God... So, so part of my complaint, or this week when I, when I was complaining, you know, part of it was I was trying to do too much in my own strength. I, I needed to, like, like, rele- like, trust God with some things and not, not try to do more than, than I had the capacity to do. So that was one of the... One of the reasons why um, I complain. Um, yeah, go ahead. Just a follow-up. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, uh, like, uh, this thought, just like to, to have this thought of like, I don't like this. Is that, would you consider that complaining? Yeah. Or, or would, it, would it depend? I, I, don't, I don't really know. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, so I think we need to have space to speak the truth in love to one another, to our family members. We're raising up kids. We have to consistently train them and communicate correction and instruction to them, addressing things that we don't like or that are hurtful, right? Um, but I think the, the way, the spirit in which we do it, how we do it, the attitude in which we do it, so we can speak the truth in love and bring correction in a way that's not, in a way that's not really like negative, that it's not just us venting our negative feelings of displeasure. So I think complaining has more to do with venting your negative feelings of displeasure. Ah! Right? And, and it may not sound like that. It may be sweet. It may sound very, very humble and very like, you know, you can, you can dress it up and make your complaint sound very spiritual. Even a prayer request, make it sound like a prayer request. Please pray for us. You know, my, my wife is just, you know, she, you can, go, you can go on, you know, we can dress it up and make a complaint sound like other things. But I think it's how are we expressing those things? Are we, Really, are we thanking God? Are we having His perspective, thanking and trusting Him with that circumstance? And so I think a complaint comes out through from not trusting and not thanking God for the good things. Kevin? I think I mean, I mean, it's more along the lines of what you're saying. I think a lot of it is the, the motive. Yeah, for sure. Because, I, I mean, I think there's, a, there's, there, there's, a, um, there's emotional help to be able to to express in, you know, in the right situation and the right way, uh, displeasure for something, or just you know trying to process things verbally. 
Yeah. But, so I, I think that there are few few reasons that are legit to do it, and many reasons that are simple. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. you, have to be, you have to be honest with your own heart. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, you have to, like you said, you can mask it or you can lie to yourself. That's right. But then, I th you know, I think people might, like, I think I've heard people, like, be afraid to, to express things because they're afraid of, of complaining. Yeah. You know? But, like, yeah, so, but it's, it's all about the motives. Why are you saying it? There's, like, a, you know, a, 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 just a processing or, or even putting that before the Lord and stuff, or are you just saying because you're angry? And even your, your yeah. tone of voice and how you say it, the way you say it. Well, and there's also that there's also murmuring. So murmuring and complaining go together. Murmuring is more of oh, I'm not going to do that, but you know, and, and and so it's like you're nobody like really understands what you said, but like they just know that was negative, and you don't like that, right? And and so there's the murmuring and complaining go together, right? Complaining you'll articulate what the problem is, or you'll try to, right? Murmuring is just. It's not helping you or anybody else. They don't even know what you just said. They just know that was negative. I feel bad now. You feel bad. Everybody feels bad now because right? Am I hurt? Am I? Am I? Okay, good. You know, and I. The reason why I can articulate that is because I have kids, and then I. I'm kind of joking, and I've done it. I've been guilty of it, and I think when we see that yuck come out. In our hearts, we just bring it before the Lord and like, and, and just say, God, I'm, this is not what you want for me. This is not, Jesus didn't complain and murmur as he carried the cross to go and die for you and me. Alright, these wretched sinners, I can't believe I'm dying for these guys. <laughs> that wasn't his attitude at all, right? Like he embraced it. And so that's the thing. That's the difference. When you're, when the pressure's on and you're carrying your cross and you're working out your own salvation and you're striving to become more like Jesus with the energy that he works in you to do so, that, that when the pressure's on, you embrace what he's doing. I think back to a point in my life when I worked at a warehouse at Weir's Furniture and I had some some, I worked with guys with some rough edges that, that just got under my skin and God put them as supervisors over me intentionally to shape me, to put me through the fire and develop me. But you know what I had to do in the midst of like feeling that, that frustration with these guys? I had to just like internally embrace this work that God was doing inside of me. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith, faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work in you. And so you can complain and express displeasure about the people and the circumstances, or you can believe that God is sovereign and say, thank you, God, and, and love people in the midst of it. Yes, Danny. I was, I was just going to iterate that. Uh, I remember early in my walk, I had that, and I still do from time to time, but the perspective, he'd always changed my perspective. If I didn't like a situation, that's because I was focusing on the situation instead yeah. of what the situation might bring in the future. Like, in fact, he reminds me of when you were doing the cross thing. He wasn't murmuring or complaining because he knew as soon as it was That's finished, right, for the joy set before him. At the end him. of it, that's it. he was going to have the keys to life. That's, that's the key. A wave, you know, so I think like how he was saying, you know, I don't like the situation. I remember I would always look way, I would be like, man, Lord, this is like a chess game. I, I need to see four or five steps ahead of you, Lord, you know, and I think if we ask and pray, prayer is a big thing to, to focus, Lord, help my perspective 
ahead of time. That's so good. So I'm not stuck in this, you know, in this moment. That's good. That's good, man. That's our outlook shapes our attitude and actions. Our outlook shapes our attitude and actions. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. And so we keep that joy set before us as well. Like this life is temporary. Illustration of a guy, a story of this guy who on his way to uh, this banquet dinner got a, got a flat tire and he was just, you know, like half a mile away. You know, his attitude, even though he had a flat tire, instead of complaining was, I'm just half a mile away. I'm almost there. I, I can walk the rest of this. I, I don't need to complain about this flat tire. I can, I can, I can make, and that should be our mindset because soon and very soon we are going to see the king. You know, I, I lo- we lost our van last week. It's okay. I'm going to see Jesus pretty soon and that's not going to mean anything, right? Or, you know, we, we lose things in this life that are, that are temporary anyways. And when we have this mindset of eternal things, uh, that helps us to endure. Okay, let's pray and close up. Father, thank you for your church. I thank you for the good work that you're doing. And I delight in seeing that, that good work in your people, that love, that joy, that gratitude, that, that praise to you in the midst of hard times, faithful service to one another and the community. And God, may we grow in this. May we grow in, in putting these attitudes in check, weeding them out of our lives and replacing and sowing in good attitudes of joy, rejoicing, gratitude, prayer, uh, an attitude of humility and service. God, may we walk in this more and more and may it express the beauty and the worth of the gospel in our lives for the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. So grateful to be a part of this church. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and lift up the light of his countenance on you and give you his peace.